0: And so today we're going to continue our series. Uh, we've been in a series that we've titled, I'm All Right. And the reason why we've t- come on, somebody say that with me. I'm all right. Oh, man, you guys sound like you're all right. You know, one of the things, amen, amen. One of the things that really ensures that for our lives, where we can truth- truthfully say that we're all right, is when we are tuning in to the right source of information when we're gleaning from God and we're getting direction from God. And so in this series, we've been studying the book of Romans. And we've been looking at the words of the Apostle Paul that were written to a gathering, a body of people that were located in the city of Rome. It was a church. And these, this, this gathering, this group of people was a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Let me tell you what that means in, in modern day age. It was a bunch of Puerto Ricans, a bunch of Dominicans a bunch of African-Americans, a bunch of white people, and we were all mixed up, and everybody came with their culture, with their understanding, with their experience. And here's here's what happened. It created a mess. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying we got a mess today. But how many of you know that when we get a mix of experiences, and especially as it pertains to understanding of what it means to be in relationship with God, when that all gets jumbled up, sometimes we miss the bigger picture. And this is where the church in Rome was, and this is the reason why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Church of Rome that is known as the Book of Romans. See, this diversity created issues, and many of these issues revolved by and large around the pressures that were imposed upon many to follow the Mosaic Law. Basically, I I don't have time to get into that, nor do I want to, but I'll just put it to you this way. The Mosaic Law basically was a bunch of rules, and here's how it worked. You do this for God, and you get this from God. But the thing about it is this, that that's not much of a relationship. That's more robotic, if anything. It's ritualistic. And how many of you know if all we do is follow A, B, and C, then it just becomes religion. It loses its luster. And God's not into that. God always intended for His people to be in relationship with Him and for Him to be in relationship with them. And so last week... We had our good friend, Pastor Marcus Gill. Can we just give it up for him? What a blessing, man. You got a glimpse of what happens between us. We're just bombing each other with, you know, just different ideas and all that. But he dropped some truth bombs uh, last uh, last week on the importance of a renewed mind. He spoke from Romans 12, 1 and 2. And, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about since last week's message is that The result of a renewed mind is a transformed life, right? It's a transformed life. And so today, I'm just going to pick right up where Pastor Marcus left off, and we're going to look at the rest of Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be learning about some resulting effects that should be evident in our lives as transformed. And so in the rest of this chapter, in Romans 12, and for the rest of this letter, this book, what we begin to see is a shift, From Romans 6 through Romans 11, the Apostle Paul goes into great depth to address the inner realities. He talks about the fact that sin is no longer our issue. He talks about the fact that we now have a new identity, that we now have a new life. He talks about the fact that we are righteous in God's sight, that our righteousness is not based on what we do for God. It's based upon what God did through Jesus. But then in Romans 12, things turn. He begins to take this transition from an inward reality to an outward one. He begins to give us some practical tools and realities as to what our lives are supposed to look like because we have renewed minds, because we have transformed lives. And so for the remainder of Romans 12, he begins to address a practical matter that was going unaddressed in the church of Rome. And the first issue that Paul tackles in the rest of Romans 12 is this issue of unity in the church. Say this with me. Say this word with me. Unity. Unity. Now, I want you to think about what that means to you. Because the, the word unity in context for what God wants to do in your life and among us is absolutely important. We have to understand the purpose. And I think it's quite appropriate For the Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, to begin to address this issue. Because just like a child when it's first born has a need to be nurtured and cared for in a family, so also a born-again believer also needs a family for nurture and care. Now, I'll tell you why I share that. Because it's unfortunate to say, but it's true, that in this day and age, there is still a resistance amongst the body of believers of Christ, in this call to unite. We exist in silos. And present day, the body of Christ, by and large, does not look like much of a body. Now, if the shoe fits, please don't wear it. Just change it. But it doesn't look like much of a body. You know what it primarily looks like in this day and age for the body of Christ as a whole? It kind of looks more like a meat market. Let me tell you what I mean. It's a bunch of disjointed body parts that are put on display, and they look real good. They look real fresh. But the truth is this, that if you just watch that piece of meat for a while, eventually you'll notice that it's been undergoing a process the whole time. It's rotting. It's dying away. And the reason why, why I start off with that such a graphic image is because that's the reality of what is occurring in our lives when we are disconnected from the body of Christ. And now more so than ever, we live in a world where we are at all costs telling people stay away from each other. And I don't deny certain challenges, but the truth is this, that you and I cannot afford to, li- to live alone. We cannot afford to be apart from the body of Christ. Why? Because there's no attachment to a life source. So a couple of questions I'm thinking about as we're talking about this today. Why do so many people prefer to be disjointed, to be apart, to be alone, to exist independently? Why do, we, why do we resist community with one another? Why do we settle for just loving Jesus and not loving his body? Why do we choose the comfort we take in identifying as a Christian but get uncomfortable when it comes to being in Christian community? There's many reasons. I'll just point out some. Maybe it's because for some of us we don't understand God's design for relationships among us. Maybe it's because we fear that we don't fit or that we somehow can't contribute. Maybe it's because we dread exposure of areas we lack or where we might have a weakness. Maybe it's because we're prideful and we believe that there's nothing others can add to us. I mean, the list can go on and on, but in essence, here's what it boils down to. We believe that we're better off alone than we are as a part of the church which Christ paid the price for to be one and so today i want to invite you to engage with god through his word let's lean our hearts in as we look to today's topic which is i need you i want you to do something with me that is absolutely going to make some of you uncomfortable i want you to look to somebody that you didn't come with and if you came alone that's okay too you won't leave alone today but I want you to do something. I want you to look at someone that you don't know. Maybe they're across the room. And I want you to look at them and say to them, I need you. Just do that with me. Now let me ask you a question because we got to address the elephant in the room. Why is that so awkward? Why is that so awkward for us? Why? See, one of the key components to growth and change in the life of a Christian is the act of connecting and joining to the body of Christ. I don't want you to take my opinion on this. I want you to simply consider the word of God in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read from verses 3 through 8. He says, "For By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function so in Christ we wait so in Christ we though many form listen to this one body one body And each member belongs to all the others. Go ahead and tell somebody, I belong to you. Tell somebody else, you belong to me. Let's say this together. We belong to each other. other. Now, listen, you guys sound great. But let me tell you where the true power is in that, when we believe it and we live that way. And so in verse 6, he goes on to say, we have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. That's important to mention this, that As we saw last week, the Apostle Paul just got done telling us in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, which is pleasing to God. Listen, once you know the truth of what God has done in you, that sin has been dealt with, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that's not my opinion, that's God's word. Once you understand that you're all right with God, what else is there to do but to present your life in service to God, right? So he tells us that we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, which is pleasing to God. And then he goes on to tell us in verse 2 that we're not to be conformed, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. For what purpose? So that we can experience the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now those are great, but to appreciate the power of a transformed life, of a new life, We cannot overlook the connection that exists between Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 and the verses we just read ensuing after in Romans 12 verses 3 through 8. My point with that is simply this. Verses 3 through 8 which we just read about the body and how we belong to each other are the effect intended to be caused by the first two verses when you're living according to them. This should be the result when your life, when your mind is renewed and your life is transformed. The very first thing that Paul addresses is our need, our need, our need to be a part of the body. Our need. For some of us, we approach Christian community, community with God's people as something that we want. Or that we do by choice. And listen, I'm not negating that each and every one of us has a choice. But you, understand, you must understand that God determines that this is not just a choice. This is a need. I wonder what church at the bridge could look like if each and every one of us believed, I need you. What could we be? What could we do? What kind of witness would it give to the power of Christ? How many lives would be transformed? Man, I'm digging right at the heart. I'm I'm gutting this church right now. I want you to get that I'm, I'm, I'm literally digging to the very core of what we are called to. And we are called to be one body. To depend on one another so that God can use us in such a powerful way that there is no denying that there is a house where God actually is working in this city, in this region, in this world. Mm. I guess I could just stop right there. But I, I, I want to give you some practical tools here. You know, if you just consider what we just read in Romans verses, chapter 12 verses 3 to 8. In verses 4 and 5, Paul calls us a body. And he says that just like we have a body and though we have many parts, each part belongs to the other and it's for the purpose of putting together one body, right? And so according to the scriptures, one of the resulting works of the Spirit of God in the life of a Christian, one of the powerful works that God uh, has instilled in us and is part of our makeup is to be in relationship with one another for the purpose of forming one body. One means by which God flows. It's like Transformers, you know, Autobots, transform. Some of you, you're too old for that. Some of you, you're too young for that. Some of you think you know about Transformers because you saw the movie. You don't know nothing about Transformers. Stop, Pastor Jose. Let's get back to, to what we're talking about here. Now listen, I get that every one of us, whether this is new to you or this is your first time or you know Christ, you're, you're a Bible veteran. You've been doing this for decades. Wherever you are, I get that we're all somehow pursuing understanding and relationship with God. That we're all on a personal journey. But I want you to consider that personal relationship with God does not equate to isolation. It will never result in isolation. In God's kingdom, here's God's equation. One plus one does not equal two. One plus one equals one. It equals one. See, It's not about I'm putting my 50% or I'm putting my 25% or you're putting your 50% and I put my 50% and we make up a whole. No, 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 no. It takes wholly being devoted to Christ and to one another to make up and form a move of God, a body. Right? And so God's way to completeness and wholeness for us doesn't happen Independent of of relationships with his people. I want you to just consider this. That when God brought about a solution for the issue of sin and for the redemption of all mankind, in what form did he come? As a man. Why? Because God wants to touch people through people. That's how God works. And so we need one another. So again, why do some of us choose to be disjointed instead? Why do we resist becoming one? Well, according to verse 3, it's because we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. It's pride. Let me read that to you again. If we could just put up verse 3. It says, for, that, for by the grace given me, I say to everyone, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in according with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And so what we see here is that when we resist the body, when we detach, it's a pride issue. I know some, somebody here just thought because I heard it. I'm not prideful. Just because I choose to be distant doesn't mean that I think of myself better than anyone else in the body of Christ. And to you, my friend, I simply respond by saying this. You have an incomplete understanding of what pride is. I'm going to tell you why I say that. Pride isn't thinking of yourself better than others. It's thinking only of yourself. It's thinking only of yourself. And when we only think about ourselves and what I get from God and what I get from going to church and what I get from getting involved in a few things, when it's all about what I get, you're missing what God wants to do. You're missing what God wants to do. You're missing what God wants to do to you, what God wants to do through you, what God wants to add to your life, and what God wants to use you to add into the lives of others. And so according to these verses that we just read, here's the reality. I belong to you. You belong to me. We belong to each other. We have a need for each other. Can somebody tell somebody, I really, need you. I really need you. Listen, that is the truth. We need each other. Why? Because as we read, we all have different gifts. I want you to consider what God calls you, according to Romans 12. He calls you a gift. But what use is a gift if it's not given? It's no gift at all. It's contained. And God calls you and I a gift. He calls everyone in the body of Christ a gift. Gifted with different talents, different anointings, different experiences, different makeups, different backgrounds, but all to make up one beautiful body known as the body of Christ. Let me put that to you another way a great move of God. And that can't happen if we do not become one. If we don't recognize the need that we have for each other. You know, my wife was mentioning how we went away and, you know, I, 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 we have some family down in Florida. and The majority of my sisters live down there. And I've, I've been trying to, you know, kind of encourage them and minister to them and show them Christ in different ways for a while. And I, I got to tell you it hasn't it hasn't been easy. But when we were down there I I, I we we went out to uh, meet some friends that were uh, mutual friends that had told us that we should get together so we connected and we went out to check out this church out there and it was awesome and they were having a different kind of night it wasn't a service per se they were having these breakouts and doing different topics and you know ministering to the body in different ways and so we went out to check them out and you know, we connected with the pastors, and they were like, hey, let's hang out, let's talk. So we're talking, and and, and as we're walking out, my I, the, earlier that night, I had told my sister, hey, I'm going to check out a church that's not far from you. You want to come? And my sister said, sure, I'll come. I got nothing better to do. So I was like, oh, okay. Cool. So we get to the church, we're hanging out, whatever, and they do their worship, and then they start breaking out. And I said to my sister, hey, so it turns out, I'm, we're not going to go to any of these sessions. We're going to hang out with the pastor. You get to hang with us. And my sister says, no, no, no. I'm going to stay right here for the session they're doing here. So night goes on. You know, everything's wrapping up later on and end up catching up with my sister. My sister says to me, I'm so glad I came. She says, she was in a session that they were talking about relationships and what the scriptures have to say about it. She says, I'm going to come back for the rest of this series. And she finds out there's a trunk of treat and she's like, I'm going to go to that with the kids. And she finds out that there's a service at 1145. She likes to sleep in late, so she's like, oh, I can maybe go to that. Now, I'm going to tell you why I share that with you. Because while I may be a gift, some gifts can't be received, but others can. I thank God for a people of God in Tampa, Florida, man, that can do what I can't. And God can still work. Listen to what I'm getting at here. Each and every one of us is a gift. And while I might not be able to give you a gift, someone else can. That's the power when we function as one body. Amen. And so God's on the move, man. And God wants to move through you and I. And for some of us, we're holding back because we're like, you know, I don't know what I'm gifted at. And I would just simply say to you that if you're willing to start somewhere, you'll eventually find your place in the body of Christ. Start somewhere, get involved somehow. Introduce yourself to someone. Connect with somebody. I know it feels awkward. I know it feels unnatural, but guess what? The only reason why it feels unnatural is because you are not natural. You are a supernatural work of God. So, look, the Bible records a time when a massive crowd of religious people got together to hear Jesus and the book of Mark chapter 5 clearly uh, recounts that in this same instance, it, it's, it's another, uh, from another point of view, uh, Mark records that uh, this was in Jesus' hometown, a place called Capernaum. And so why is that important? Because the scriptures tell us that in his own hometown, people could not receive what God wanted to do, what Jesus wanted to do. They didn't honor him. There weren't many works that he could do there. There was no honor for him. They looked at him as Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, Jesus, the carpenter, Jesus, the guy that was in my kid's Torah class, right? That's how they looked at Jesus. So they couldn't receive anything from him. But what's interesting is that Jesus on this particular day had a particular purpose. He was intent on doing something. And these people missed it. And I want us to see how this relates to our topic today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to start at verse 17. Starting at verse 17, it says that one day Jesus was teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. And they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus, listen to this, to heal the sick. And some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. I love these guys. They went up on the roof, and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith he said friend your sins are forgiven now the pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves who is this fellow who speaks of who speaks blasphemy who can forgive sins but god alone and jesus knew what they were thinking and he asked why are you thinking these things in your heart which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk but i want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth To forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And so it's important to note that Luke 5 points out to us that the power of God was with Jesus on that day, and every day really, to heal the sick. What does that tell us? That tells us that there were people amongst that crowd that needed a miracle, that needed a touch from God, that needed a change, that were in need of transformation. They needed something that only Jesus could give them. But the thing is this if you just consider the text we just read, none of them were healed. None of them. We have to ask ourselves, why? And I submit to you that it wasn't because Jesus was lacking power or authority. It wasn't because Jesus was any less powerful because some people lacked faith or perceived him erroneously. No, it was because there were people there that... God wanted to heal, but they failed to be a channel for his power to flow. They rejected what Jesus wanted to do. They were there with ulterior motives, and we just saw an example there. And so the thing about it is that while this is going on in this crowded house, this crowded meeting space, this is the equivalent of a religious church conference, right? This is like the conference of all conferences. This is the one to go to. The main speaker is Jesus, and everybody wants to be there. And so the room is crowded, and and the Scripture tells us that it's Pharisees and teachers of the law. Why is that important to understand? Because what it tells us is that it was a bunch of church folk. It's a bunch of church folk. Everybody wants to be there. Now, while this is going on, There are four guys who we can probably assume were Pharisees or teachers themselves. We don't know that to be true. It's very likely because this was a gathering of religious people. And there's four guys that are on the way to this same gathering. But here's the thing, they're different. Why are they different? Because they stopped and took note of someone that most likely everyone else that went to to the place where Jesus was, Those people had missed him. They probably neglected him. They probably ignored him. They probably just stepped over him. Probably gave him an arm and kept it moving. But you see, these guys stopped. They stopped. And when they stopped, everything changed. Everything changed. Listen, so great was their desire to help this man when they stopped that it no longer mattered if they heard the message that Jesus was teaching. So great was their need to intervene that it no longer mattered if they received anything from Jesus. It no longer mattered if there was no room for them when they got there. It didn't matter that there was a roof on this house. Nothing could stop them from fulfilling the need that they had To help their fellow man. I want you to see what just happened here. In other words, Jesus, when he sees these guys, the scripture says that he saw their faith. He saw their faith. These four guys rip the roof off. Study it for yourself. They literally put a hole in the roof. Now, for some of us, you'd be offended if the roof had a hole right now, if something came crashing down and somebody's being lowered down. You'd freak out. Somebody would pick up the phone and call 911. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. You know why Jesus didn't freak out? Because in seeing their faith, he wasn't just seeing the act of them lowering him down. He understood that their faith began even before anyone else could see what was about to happen. Their faith began to take feet, to walk, to operate when nobody else saw them and they picked this guy up. Listen, this wasn't just about helping someone. They needed to do this. Why? Because their interest was, their need was, I need to see you well. It became more than just what I need or what I want from Jesus. And this is a mirror image of what a renewed mind, a transformed life, leads us to in the body of Christ. Got to tell somebody, I need you. Man, I pray that you are saying those words with a different understanding. And that you see that what you're really saying is I need the move of God that's working through you. And you need what I have to offer and how God is moving through me. We need one another. 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 21, says that I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Verse 26 goes on to say, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, listen to this, Every part rejoices with it. I think that in light of what the scriptures are telling us, we cannot leave here today and with good conscience reject each other. Can I say this? To do that is to reject God to reject God. You know, everybody wants to honor God. Everybody wants to love God. I get that. That's awesome. But don't miss that loving God means loving people. Don't miss that loving God means loving the person right next to you that you felt so awkward in telling them I need you. We have to consider the truth in God's word. And we have to respond to it. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here as I come to a close, I want to just give you three simple things that the Apostle Paul points out in the remaining verses in Romans chapter 12 that are essential to us becoming one, to us fulfilling the need that God means to supply us through one another. And so in the latter half of Romans 12, the Apostle Paul identifies these three essential things that we need to truly be a body, to be one body. And the first one is love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Let me take you to the scripture. Romans 12:9, Paul says this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit: love must be sincere. He doesn't say it should be. He doesn't even suggest that you might want to try it. Paul says, love must be sincere. He says, hate. What is evil? Cling to what is good. What is the evil that he's talking about? What evil are we talking about here? I submit to you that in context, if you read Romans 12, he's talking about the body of Christ. So we can rightly conclude this, that to reject one another and pull away from one another and exist in separate silos is evil. Listen to me. The scripture refers to Satan as a one who comes as a roaring lion. Here's the thing about a lion. He doesn't look for a pack to attack. He looks for the weak link, the one that lags behind, the one that is isolated. That's where evil has entrance. Are you getting a picture here? And so he says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. You know, we hear a lot in the church world, I love you. I love you. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I love you. But is it sincere? Is it sincere? You know, two characteristics of sincere love according to what we just read in Romans 12, 9, and we could put that scripture up again, because I want you to see this for yourselves, in verse 10 is this. Two characteristics to sincere love are devotion and honor. Devotion and honor. Devotion and honor. Now, devotion we can all understand because we're all devoted to something. But the word honor is not something that is highly esteemed or understood in this day and age. The word honor simply speaks of ascribing great value to a thing. Can I tell you that as your pastor, I'm very clear on the honor that has been bestowed on me. And my honor is not that I'm above anyone. My honor is that I get to serve the body of Christ. I'm devoted to that. I value every single life every single person that comes through these doors, every single person online, I want you to know that you are so valuable to God. And because you are valuable, we value you and we are committed and devoted to simply point you to the truth in God's word. So sincere love entails devotion and honor. And the people in Rome were just like these people crowding Jesus that day. They all professed a love for God, but their love lacked sincerity. While they loved God, their love for God was insincere because there was no love and and devotion among them. They were missing each other. They were missing each other. They were ignoring one another. It kind of looked like this. Oh, you need prayer? I'll keep you in prayer. Can we be honest? The majority of the time when you tell somebody I'll be praying for you, we don't. We don't. We don't. So for me, see, this is if you ever come to me, you'll notice it's so like, all right, let's pray right now. Amen. Let's just let's let's pray right now. Let's do this right now. I love you enough to take that moment right then and there. Right? And so. One of the proofs of love and honor unto God is how we love and honor one another. Jesus himself says in the Gospels that they shall know you are my disciples by your love for one another. By your love for one another. Could it be that the reason why more and more people are rejecting God today and want nothing to do with God is because There's no honor and devotion amongst the body of Christ. Again, if the shoe fits, please don't put that one on. Change it today. Make a commitment to be devoted, to love God by being devoted and loving his people. And you might say, well, what about people that don't know Christ? Listen closely. When we love one another, we become a move of God that brings the love of God into lives of people in a transforming way. If we can't do it here, then guess what? There's no sincerity to what we're doing out there. I'm just going to read this verse to you, and I'm going to move on because I am definitely out of time. Colossians 3.14 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. Be forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Listen, without sincere love for one another, I want you to see that we lack the essentials of our faith. Yes, we're called to be kind and and compassionate and and operate in humility and gentleness. And all these things are foundational to our faith. But if love is 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 not in operation among us, then guess what? Everything that we're doing is fake. Because love isn't bringing it together. And guess what? That's not the house that we have here, Church at the Bridge. I want you to know no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your experience, no matter what your questions, what your doubts, what your faith, what what you find yourself in, no matter what, we love you because God loves you because the Word of God commands us to be loving to one another, to uplift one another, to encourage one another. We believe in the move of God here. Oh, come on now, that was weak. The second thing I want to leave you with here is that we are called to live in harmony. Romans 12, 16 says this, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You know, harmony is more than people operating together. Harmony is the conjoining of people that are mindful of one another. We're of the same mind for the sake of a greater result. I remember years ago, uh, my, my, one of my cousins, her son was in some sort of orchestra at school or something, and he played the tuba. And she was telling me how he's playing the tuba, and he's practicing in his room, and she hears bump, 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 bump. And she's like, that doesn't sound like he's playing that right. So she was telling me how she's talking to, to Jeremy and, she, and she's telling him, son, are you, what, what were you playing? What are you doing? And he says, mom, I was playing my parts. And she, to her it just made no sense. She was like, "You, that must be wrong. And he's like, no, mom, I'm following the sheet music. So she happens to go to the school on the day that they're performing this. And she hears this beautiful symphony made up of various people playing instruments in harmony. And they're all of the same mind on this piece of musical art that they are conveying to the crowd. And as she's hearing this, she begins to hear the tuba. And she says, oh. Oh, I get it. And I'll tell you why I share that with you. Because instead of focusing on looking the part of a Christian, we should be practicing our part in our hearts so that when we are together, we operate in harmony. This is why Paul says by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, live in harmony. Understand your part and stick with it. The last point I want to leave you with here is simply this. Paul says, live at peace. Romans 12, 18, he says, if it is possible, if it is possible, watch this. As far as it depends on you. Somebody say, that's me. me. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I want you to get what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, what God is speaking to your life and mind. You know, before his death, the Lord Jesus told the disciples, that he was giving them his perfect peace. But you got to understand that Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew that they would be hurting, that they would be in fear, that they would be divided, that they would be on the run, that they would exist in separate silos in the midst of what appeared to be a chaotic situation. And he also knew In this present day and age, we would experience the same thing even within the body of Christ. Why is that important to point out? Because while we are all growing in relationship with Christ, here's the truth. The true transformative power of God's peace does not lie in holding on to the peace that we've received. Listen. It's really in the peace that we extend to one another. Listen to the words of Jesus as we stand, and I close with this. Let's stand here. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Listen, as children of God, not only are we recipients of God's peace we are also called to be the ones that reproduce it in the lives of others. Thus, Jesus calls us peacemakers, not simply peace partakers. And if we we are to enjoy the power of a renewed and transformed life, man, if you and I are to go where God is leading us, to discover his plans and his purposes, to be healed. We've got to take the same attitude and approach as these four guys. We've got to see one another, love one another, contribute to one another, be one body, a mighty move of God. I want you to take a personal moment Right here as we close. And I want you to consider where you were when you walked in here and consider where you can go when you leave from here. And I just feel the need to say this to each and every one of us, whether you're here or you're online. You belong in the body of Christ, you belong in this family, you belong. In this place, whether it's here or wherever God places you, but you belong as a body that is called one, not alone. Would you turn to God today? Would you make the decision to live with a love that's sincere, a love that's devoted to God, but also devoted to adding what God has placed in you and partaking of what God places in place has placed in another. For the sake of all, being complete and whole, being one. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that He spoke to you powerfully, and that He met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, Uh, past events that we've done, you'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us and I can't wait to connect with you next week.